This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, recovery, and redemption. We share our experience, strength, and hope. Good evening. Tonight is episode 13, Lucky. As I begin this episode, like I begin all episodes, I'd like to revisit three basic principles. First, this is not an AA meeting. It is merely a supplement or a compliment to your program, and we encourage all listeners and everyone who is considering the program, who's in the program, or who thinks they may have an issue with alcohol or any substance, and maybe any even any emotional condition such as codependency, we encourage you to join a 12-step group such as Alcoholics Anonymous and to work the steps with a sponsor and then to sponsor other men and women in your program. Number two is I'm not a mental health counselor. I have no training in mental health or psychology or psychiatry. I try to infuse a lot of layman's terms into my podcast and and, lay, and what I've learned over the, the process, but please do not let this podcast uh, be taken for medical advice or mental health advice. And number three, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all our traditions. It is crucial that my anonymity and the anonymity of any listener or anyone you know who may be in a 12-step program be, be protected at all costs. I encourage everyone to reach out to me via the internet. Email is extravagantpromisespodcast at gmail.com. And on Instagram, we have Extravagant Promises Podcast. I suppose that's at Extravagant Promises Podcast. If you reach out to me, I will preserve your anonymity at all costs, and I ask that you do the same. And if you'd like to know me or more about me or my true identity, um, that's something I'm willing to share, but only after we've established a modicum of trust with one another. So this evening, this is my 13th episode. And, of course, I've got to call it lucky. Um, not sure. And the, and as the, the tagline goes on the episode, um, luck's got nothing to do with it. Sort of like deserves got nothing to do with it. And I, and I firmly believe that. But, but there, is, there is a little piece of me that sometimes, maybe it's superstition, maybe it's just humility, but there's a piece of me that feels like when I say luck's got nothing to do with it, that I'm being a little arrogant and maybe I'm being ungrateful. So um, I have total gratitude and humility for my higher power and the program and what I owe my life to. So I wouldn't want anything in this podcast to be taken as anything but that. But in tonight's episode, Lucky, um, the reason that I take issue with the concept of luck in and and the notion when people say, "Well, you were just lucky or you were fortunate," um, is is it it does two things, in my opinion, that are hostile to our well being. 
and they are hostile to recovery. The first is that belief in luck. Well, maybe it does three things. (laughs) The first is that it deprives you of ownership in the sense that, 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 yes, you're powerless over your disease and you're powerless over life on life's terms, but this notion that you're powerless over your recovery is, is nonsense. I mean, that's the one thing that you have control over is your recovery and, and your ability to not take a drink. And just as Viktor Frankl said, your attitude in one's circumstances, you absolutely have control over that. And, and I think that when we say we're lucky or it was luck that I got sober, it was luck I found AA, that's just simply not, not the case. Um, you have to be ready. You have to be willing. You have to come to believe. Those, those are not synonymous with luck. And so I think it deprives you of ownership. Um, the second thing is I, I, I also think that, that it, um, it could be read to say that luck is somehow separated from your higher power, that, that, that you know, it's just kind of spinning the wheel there and, and, and that your higher power didn't have a hand in it. So I have a problem with that. But thirdly, and this is important for tonight's episode, is it complicates things. Luck can't be discerned. Luck can't be discussed. Luck can't be um, broken down and analyzed or, or, or repeated. That's the number one thing is luck cannot be repeated. It's in, incapable of the scientific method. It's incapable of faith. You can't have faith in luck. You just say, well, it's things unseen. It's good luck today that I didn't drink. Well, I guess I was unlucky. I drank. No, 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 no. It's not simple. It is the complex. Luck is complicated. Luck is is a tortured path. And you just, well, I found the map. No, you know. Luck, luck has nothing to do with it. For instance, it wasn't bad luck that my oven just decided to make that beep while I was recording the last segment. No, I put my chicken, not chicken a la snake, I might add. Um, There's a different recipe that I'll share with you guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear it up after tonight's episode. But, um, but first, luck had nothing to do with that. I put that stuff in the oven. I saw that there were five minutes left when I started recording, and, you know, the, the, the alarm went off. There's a concept in philosophy and science and life. There are a lot of concepts such as Fibonacci sequence and the golden mean and all that. There's something that I learned 25, 26 years ago called Occam's Razor. And Occam's Razor, according to the interwebs at Wikipedia, is a principle from philosophy. Suppose there exist two explanations for an occurrence. In this case, the one that requires the least speculation is usually better. Another way of saying it is that the more assumptions you have to make, the more unlikely an explanation. Occam's razor applies especially in the philosophy of science, but also more generally. And they were saying that it was attributed in Latin. There is something called lex parsimony, which is the law of briefness. It's also called the law of parsimony. Um, And it's favor the simple over the complex. 
And that's why tonight's episode, when I say lucky, it's really about the simple, not the complex. It isn't about tortured philosophies and superstitions and all this. It's about the simple. Keeping it simple, stupid. How many times do we see that? Simple, easy does it. Think, think, think. On the walls of every room you go into that says AA on the front of it. So let's talk about Occam's razor. You didn't get you didn't get sober and you didn't string together a thousand days or two thousand days or five thousand days by being lucky. You didn't just happen to not fall on a drink a thousand days in a row because you were lucky or there were some sort of like the stars aligned perfectly for you. No. It's because you trudged the path, the happy path of destiny, and you trudged it with a fierce determination, and you trudged it with your higher power. You didn't dishonor your higher power by claiming it was luck or the stars or something. It was your higher power sitting there going, hey, we're doing this together one day at a time. Simple. It isn't a thousand days at a time. It isn't a thousand steps at a time. It's one step at a time, one footstep at a time, one minute at a time, one simple truth. Don't drink now. Don't drink this minute. Don't drink this hour. Don't drink this day. And you just take that 24 hours and you turn it into another one. It's simple. Favor the simple over the complex. God, these books that I see that are, you know, how to get sober in 30 days alone. I mean, what? There's a book. It's been out there for 83 years. It's called The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Read it. You know, you've heard me talk about jiu-jitsu. My jiu-jitsu teacher, I, 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 I'm always coming up with training plans and all this that are going to get me my black belt one day. You know, um, and, and I asked my teacher, what do, you, what do you do to get better at jiu-jitsu? And he said, do more jiu-jitsu. What do you do to get better? And by the way, he's going to be on the podcast. He's a sober guy. Um, what do you do to get better at AA? Do more AA. Go to more meetings. So the reason that I thought that was important is because we're coming into the holidays, and boy, are the holidays a complicated time in our lives. And I read about that great respect and courtesy and manners. You know, I read that art, the the essay by Ian McLaren, courtesy. Ooh, that is a roadmap for how to get through the holidays for sure. And a couple things, as, as I talked about last week, uh, my one of the guys I sponsor relapsed, and um, it you know, it required me to re- revisit my roots and my simplicity and my program and my Occam's razor. And, you know, I did what, what you're supposed to do. I called my sponsor. I went to meetings. Gosh, I sound luxury, don't I? I'll try to add a little bit more friendliness in my tone. Um, but, you know, tonight at a meeting, there was a guy in there who had... He claimed he had had a bunch of years, and then he went out and drank and smoked weed or did other, you know, what do they call it, uh, extracurricular issues or, I don't know, there's a phrase I, I hear about people who want to smoke weed or do other things. And, you know, it's getting high, it's getting drunk, it's, 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 it's not being sober, period. Um, and, you know, his life, he looked like hell, and he looked like he had been through hell. And it was interesting that, you know, I couldn't tell. 
he, he picked up a white chip, you know, and I couldn't tell, like, is he ready? Has he, has he, is he, he said he didn't want to get back to rock bottom where he had been once upon a time. I get that. Is that, is that surrender? Is that completely giving yourself over to this program of recovery? I don't know. Maybe. I, I mean, I don't think you have to be, you know, living under a bridge, um, performing sex acts for five bucks so you can get booze in order to hit rock bottom. I mean, rock bottom can be all kinds of different things. But what I do think is I started listening to him and it sounded very complicated. His story, it's this and it's that. And I knew this and I'm in a bar and I, you know, what do you do in a bar but drinking? And, and, you know, I was reminded, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but I'm a big movie buff. And there's a scene where um, in the movie The Exorcist where Father Marin, who is the exorcist, and um, and Father Karras, who is the, the, he's the priest who's treating Regan, who's possessed. And she is, um, he's a psychiatrist also. So as they're, and he doesn't really believe, you know, he's all complicated. And, um, and I mean, you know, somebody's turning their head around 360 degrees and shooting pea soup out and levitating their body. I mean, I'm thinking they're possessed, you know, it's, it, it, and, uh, anyway, and so, so they're walking up the stairs, this beautiful scene, you know, the fog is outside around the house and, and there's, and the foundation is shaking and everything. And, and Kara says to Father Marin, well, she seems to possess to, to, to exhibit psych, psychotic tendencies, schizophrenia with where where different personalities and different demons and, and Marin stops and he says, No. It's only one. It's Satan. Or he says it's the devil or something like that. But the idea is that like it's like your program. It ain't complicated when you're sitting in that bar and you're going to slippery places and you're thinking you're going to drink soda water for a little bit. Then you're going to have a little bit of wine, but you're going to water it down. Then you're going to, then you're going to, you know, you're going to have only have, have, have drinks that end with a vowel on Tuesdays or something, you know, no complicated. You're an alcoholic. Don't drink. Don't go to places that make you want to drink. You know, it's crazy. I, I sat there. And I, I finished my meeting and I went to uh, upscale, organic style, super expensive grocery store that we all know the name of that's owned by a big giant conglomerate now um, where people seem to be very angry and they wear a lot of CrossFit gear and they buy $70 cheeses and, and whatnot and have fancy facial hair and kind of stare at everybody if you don't have the right bumper stickers or something. But do I sound judgmental? Anyway, um, I was there because they actually have some pretty good meat and they're close to where I go to my meeting. And, um, uh, and I was in there, I was feeling real good. I'm going to get my food and I'm going to come through and, um, and I'm going to, and, and, you know, they've taken to starting to serve a fair amount of alcohol at this particular grocery store and I walked in, and there's a group of men around the cheese bar, and they're all drinking beers or something. And they, it's right, they have like a wine and cheese. And you, know, you should have, yeah, what goes well with wine in the wine section? Or what goes well with cheese in the cheese and wine section? Wine, you know? Um, shocker. And they were drinking, and it was weird because, you know, I had that weird, it was almost like, like that devil 
was sitting there looking at me going, dude, man, man, just park your thing and grab a, grab a glass and drink it. And I thought, holy shit, if I'm having, well, first of all, I thought, fuck that. And I'm sorry about my language, but fuck that. I'm not fucking drinking and I'm dying sober, okay? But I thought, god damn, if I am this, if I'm, if I'm, I'm coming from a meeting and I just had a sponsee relapse on me and I'm sitting there and, and I heard a voice saying like, do it, you know? Man, and I got a fair amount of days, and I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh, get away from this. Get thee out, Satan. So I, I trucked it on over to the chicken section, and I got my chicken, and I went over to the vegetable section where they don't have booze, and I picked up some fresh vegetables, and I got my ass to the checkout lady, and I was friendly and kind and courteous, and I braved the rainstorm, and I got home, and I'm recording a podcast, and I'm sober, and... um. And I want to share some of that. So I thought maybe for this episode, we'd go a little old school. We get back to Occam's Razor. And we'll start, start bringing some of these into our meetings, or our podcasts here. This is not a meeting. But uh, just, to, just for those of you, you know, like, let's, let's, let's bring it back a little bit to how it works and things like that. So where are we in that? Let's start with some good old-fashioned touchstones. You know, the, the book... The recovery book from, uh, I believe it's from Hazelden. And let's read this from November 12th. An ideal is a man's portrait of his better self, Lewis Binstock. When in training for athletics, we use a daily routine to reach a peak condition. We stretch, lift weights, run, and do special conditioning to develop our bodies and skills for that big day of competition. It's hard work. Sometimes we hate it, but at other times we do it just because it feels so good. Then when the day of competition comes, we can depend on that practice. At a crucial moment, there's not a time to think about how we will respond. We just do it the way we learned and use our physical ability to carry us through. I'm going to stop for a second. Isn't that what happened to me in that grocery store? I mean, I'm, I'm traveling. I'm doing all this. I went to a meeting, and boom, there's somebody drinking a beer. And I'm like, mm-mm-mm. I didn't even think about it. I mean, I just thought, wow, you know, stay away from the, sl- from the ice if you don't want to slip. In this program, we go to our meetings, we work the steps on a personal level, we develop a relationship with a higher power, and we keep in touch with our sponsor. Boom. Some days we may wonder if it's worthwhile, but most of the time the process is full and rewarding in itself. We make progress toward the ideal, although we never achieve perfection. When the challenges or threats to our sobriety come, we have our conditioning within the program to carry us through. God, in this day ahead, I will remember that I'm building myself to peak condition. I will be faithful to my training program. with, And I'll add in, with thy will, not, not mine. So that's, that's some good old-fashioned touchstones. And look, isn't that awesome? I didn't even, I mean, I just went to November 12. You know, it's today. And, um, and there it is, just the same thing. We, we, you do the simple things. You know, think about diets, you know, and, 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 I, 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 paleo, keto, uh, low carb, high carb, uh, hot dog buns, and 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 you know, non gluten free uh, mustard, but no meat. I, I mean, think about how many crazy, complicated. Remember the Russian Air Force diet or whatever that was. I mean, it was like what? What's the Russian Air Force have to do with with diets? But this was big, like twenty five years ago. 
And it was one of these things like, you know, you, you make this soup and all this stuff and then you drink it. And I tried to do it <laughs> in that little tiny apartment I lived in that I've told you all about that didn't have like a refrigerator or anything. And I tell you, the soup, go, it will go bad. Um, <laughs> and, uh, anyway, how about just close your mouth? Don't put so much food into it. You know, you know that Cheetos and, and Ding Dongs aren't good for you. They have a lot of calories. They have a lot of sugar. You know that wholesome, plain, whole food is good. Eat that. Um, I had a guy tell me he was, a, he was like a competition bodybuilder. Dude was a strong man and everything. He was awesome. And when I, and I, was, I said, you know, how do I well, – you know, this is back in my big drinking days. You know, I said, how do I, how do I lose 20 pounds? And he's like, well, first of all, you need to stop drinking. You know, number, number two is if it, if it flies – swims, walks on the earth, if it grows from the ground or falls from a tree and you can eat it without cooking it um, then and without processing it, then eat it. Um, alcohol, cheese, butter, all these things, you have to do something to it in order for it to be edible. Now, everybody says, well, what about chicken? Well, I mean, you got to cook chicken, okay? But you could eat it in its natural state. Rice? No, you can't eat it naturally. You have to cook it. Um, but that has to transform it. Um, you know, wheat, you got to do all kinds of crazy stuff to that. So that was what he said. And you know what? I, I've lost weight. It was called the no processed food diet. You know, and guess what's the, one of the most processed things you can put in your body? Alcohol and drugs. Um, I really sound just so like luxury tonight. Please don't let this turn you off. And I'm in I'm in a great mood. Um, but I just want to go old school. So here's some more old school. Um, I think for the next couple episodes, I'm going to be reading some. Start getting into some living sober. Remember that book? You know, I remember I told a story I think earlier about how I found out that my grandfather was in the rooms. And um, you know, when I was a kid and I was visiting my grandmother and my grandfather, and he used to go to this place called Sam's Delicatessen. I don't, I, and I won't, you, nobody will know where that is. There are probably a, a Sam's in every, you know, delicatessen in every city and every state in the country. But this wasn't like Sam's Club. This is like old school, you know, Italian deli. And my grandfather would go there, or he'd go wherever, and he would drink. And, and I was young, and I remember he came home, and he was drunk. And he was he was a nice guy. He was a really nice guy, and he was just drunk and trying to be nice. And my grandmother was crying her eyes out. And um, and I said to her, I said, "Why is why is Pop up? Um, why is he like this when he comes back from Sam's, Sam's place or whatever it was called?" And she she started screaming at him. Did you hear what your grandson said? You know, did you hear? He wants to know why you come back like this. You know, and. And, and I just, you know, it was funny because I used to tag along with him in the summers. I'd get up at five in the morning or four in the morning. He'd get up real early and he'd go on these routines and stuff. And he wasn't working, you know, he's just going to, he'd go to the little coffee shop and do his thing. And then he'd go by the, you know, he'd just do stuff. And, and, um, and I'd go with him. And I do remember one time before, while he was still drinking, that I, I was in the trunk of his car, and, and he had a pint of vodka or a bottle of vodka hidden in there. And he, and he showed me, he said, don't say anything about that. I, I remember it. I, I didn't know at the time what it was. But um, 
But what I knew is that later, he didn't have any of those episodes. And he didn't, and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't have any of those drunken ranting and raving or whatever. I didn't find any more bottles. But there was one thing that he would, he wouldn't take me with him to. And he would say, I've got a meeting I got to go to. And I'd say, hey, Papa, let me go with you to, the, let me go to your meeting. And he'd say, no, the, this isn't, this isn't a meeting you can come to, little fella kind of thing. But what he would say, in addition to that, he'd say things. Gregory, think, think, think. He'd pull me aside. Hey, keep it simple. You're always running so fast. Slow it down. Easy does it. He had these phrases. And I took it kind of personally. Like, I thought maybe he was, like, lecturing me about being a bad kid or something. Think, think, think like I was stupid or something. Imagine my surprise all those years later. You know, just to let you know, he I had suspected that he was in the rooms, but I didn't know anything about the rooms, and I found a chip of his, like a five-year chip or something like that, you know. I wasn't sober at the time. It was a long time ago. He had died. My grandmother had died. I was going through their stuff, helping my mom. But I'll tell you what. I sat in those rooms when I was when I was in the rooms. When I came in and I sat there and I looked and I saw those little those things that they they must sell them at intergroups or wherever when you're setting up a meeting. Those those wall placards and those little framed pictures that say think think think. I don't care if you're in Boise, Idaho, or if you're in 34th Street and Mustard Seed in New York City. There are going to be those little plaques on the wall. And they usually put the think, think, think one upside down, like, you, you know, but, but think, 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 keep it simple, easy does it. And I was like, all right, man, Bill W. was talking to me as a kid, even through my grandfather. How special is that, that I remember that? I remember sitting in the mall, little hick town where my parents live, and I was, you know, there and just not being pejorative. I mean, small towns are great. John Cougar Mellencamp, we got it. But I'll tell you what, sometimes there's some xenophobic, small-minded people, and, and, and I happen to grow up around some of them. But, um, you know, I sat there. Boy, that is judgmental. Maybe I ought to make, make a little amends. Look, I, I sometimes have a little bit of heartburn about um, some of the places that I've lived, but they're all wonderful places and they're, and they're great. But I was in old school, little mall, you know, the kind with the arcade, you go in there and play centipede or what's the one that I liked? I liked, um, space invaders. That was one that I really liked and asteroids and, um, a couple other ones. And my grandfather would take me over there and he'd go to the orange Julius you know, and he'd get this thing. It was, I don't even know if they have those things anymore, but it's like a, basically like a slushy with orange Julius and like protein stuff, egg whites or something. And they're really yummy. Um, and he would get one of those and he would sit on a bench and he'd just sit there and stare and just kind of, he'd, he'd be always dressed up, always saw him with a tie on. And, I, and he had like a fedora and he'd sit there and just, just, think you know and, and I'd come out and go hey can I get another quarter and he'd give me a quarter or a roll of quarters I'd go running back in and he'd say he'd pull me aside say slow down think 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 easy does it keep it simple so um, 
another thing that I learned when I was in the rooms is I started seeing some of his the habits and things that he had that um, that I real came to realize were old school tricks. Not tricks. That's that sounds like luck. No, I mean old school suggestions and recommendations that come from the book Living Sober. So I thought we'd just kind of bring some of that into the podcast here. Um, so I'm just going to read chapter one. One, using this booklet. This booklet does not offer a plan for recovery from alcoholism. The Alcoholics Anonymous steps that summarize its program of recovery are set forth in detail in the books Alcoholics Anonymous and 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Those steps are not interpreted here nor are the processes they cover discussed in this booklet. Here, we tell only some methods we have used for living without drinking. You're welcome to all of them, whether you're interested in Alcoholics Anonymous or not. Our drinking was connected with many habits, big and little. Some of them were thinking habits, or things we felt inside ourselves. Others were doing habits, things we did, actions we took. In getting used to not drinking... We have found that we needed new habits to take the place of old ones, of those old ones. For example, instead of taking that next drink, the one in your hand or the one you've been planning on, can you just postpone it until you read to the end of chapter three? Sip some soda or fruit juice instead of an alcoholic beverage while you read. A little later, we'll explain more fully what's behind this change in habits. After we spend a few months practicing these new sober habits or ways of acting and thinking, they became almost second nature to most of us. Think about that touchstones I just read. Uh, As drinking used to be. Not drinking has become natural and easy, not a long, dreary struggle. These practical hour-by-hour methods can easily be used at home, at work, or in social gatherings. Also included here are several things we have learned not to do or to avoid. These were things that we now see once tempted us to drink or otherwise endangered our recovery. We think you'll find many or even all of the suggestions discussed here valuable in living sober with comfort and ease. There is nothing significant about the order in which the booklet presents them. They can be rearranged in any way you like that works. A classic alcoholic, I'm going to rearrange living sober. Nor is this a complete listing. Practically every AA member you meet can give you at least one more good idea not mentioned here. And you will probably come up with brand new ones that work for you. We hope you pass them on to others who can also profit by them. AA as a fellowship does not formally endorse nor recommend for all alcoholics every line of action included here. But each practice mentioned has proved useful to some members and may prove helpful to you. This booklet is planned as a handy manual for consulting from time to time. Not something to be read straight through just once, then forgotten. Here are two cautions which have proved helpful. A. Keep an open mind. Perhaps some of the suggestions offered here will not appeal to you. If that is the case, we have found that instead of rejecting them forever, it's a better idea to just set them aside for the time being. If we don't close our minds to them permanently, we can always go back later on and try out ideas we didn't like before if we want to. For instance, some of us found... That in our initial non-drinking days, the suggestions and comradeship offered by an AA sponsor helped us greatly to stay sober. Others of us waited until we had visited many groups and met many AAs before we finally called on a sponsor's help. Some of us found formal prayer a strong aid in not drinking, while others fled from anything that suggested religion. 
but all of us are free to change our minds on these ideas later if we choose. Many of us found that the sooner we started work on the 12 steps offered as a program of recovery in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, the better. Others of us felt the need to postpone this until we had been sober a little while. The point is, there is no prescribed AA right way or wrong way. Each of us uses what is best for himself or herself without closing the door on other kinds of help we may find valuable at another time. And each of us tries to respect others' rights to do things differently. Sometimes an AA member will talk about taking the various parts of the program in cafeteria style, selecting what he likes and letting alone what he does not want. Maybe others will come along and pick up the unwanted parts, or maybe that member himself will go back later and take some of the ideas he previously rejected. However, it is good to remember the temptation in a cafeteria to pick up nothing but a lot of desserts or starches or salads or some other food we particularly like. You know that, that adage is kind of like the guy who goes to the, to the gym. He's good at bench. All he's going to do is bench, you know. Um, it serves as an important reminder to us to keep a balance in our lives. In recovering from alcoholism, we found that we needed a balanced diet of ideas, even if some of them did not look at first as enjoyable as others. Like good food, good ideas did us no good until, unless we made intelligent use of them. And that leads to our second caution. B. Use your common sense. We found that we have to use plain, everyday intelligence. Does that sound like Occam's razor, ladies and gentlemen? Does that sound like keep it simple? <clears throat> in applying the, the suggestions that follow. Like almost any other ideas, the suggestion in this booklet can, can be misused. For example, take the notion of eating candy. Obviously, alcoholics with diabetes, obesity, or blood sugar problems have to have defined substitutes so they would not endanger their health, yet could still get the benefit of the candy-eating idea in recovery from alcoholism. Many nutritionists favor protein-rich snacks over sweets as a general practice. Also, it's not, remember, this is written like 40 years ago, um, which is super cool when you think about some of this stuff. We're talking about protein and things. Think about what we do now. Oh, it's going to be, you know. Anyway, we should eat balanced meals in addition to the candy. I love this. Another example is the use of the slogan, easy does it. Some of, of us have found that we could abuse this sensible notion, turning it into an excuse for tardiness, laziness, or rudeness. That is not, of course, what the slogan is intended for. Properly applied, it can be healing. Misapplied, it can hinder our recovery. Some among us would add to it, easy does it, but do it. Again, remember, this is long before Phil Knight and Nike. It's clear that we have to use our intelligence in following any advice. Every method described here needs to be used with good judgment. One more thing. AA does not pretend to offer scientific expertise on staying sober. We can share with you only our personal experience, not professional theories and explanations. So these pages offer no new medical shortcuts on how to stop drinking if you're still doing it, nor any miraculous secrets for shortening or avoiding a hangover. Sometimes getting sober can be done on, our, on your own at home, but frequently prolonged drinking has caused such serious medical problems that you would be better advised to seek medical or hospital help before drying out. If you are that seriously ill, you may need such professional services before you can possibly be interested in what we offer here. Many of us who are not that sick, however, have sweated it out in the company of other AA members. 
because we have been through it ourselves, we can often help in a layman's way to relieve some of the misery and suffering. At least we understand. We have been there. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been there. So this booklet is, not, is about not drinking rather than about stopping drinking. It's about living sober. We have found that for us, recovery began with not drinking, with getting sober and staying completely free of alcohol in any amount and in any form. We've also found that we have to stay away from other mind-changing drugs. We can move toward a full and satisfying life only when we stay sober. Sobriety is the launching pad for our recovery. In a way, this booklet is about how to handle sobriety. Before, we couldn't, so we drank. All right, well, that was a little bit of a longer read than I probably intended because I don't like to just read long passages, but I figured, you know, let's get old school, let's get simple, let's get Occam's razor, let's go back to basics, let's read some touchstones, let's read some living sober. And uh, let me tell you my story along the way about how I see the living sober pages come to life in my memories of my grandfather. And I think, you know, he died sober. I didn't know it. But I know it. You know, I, I came to believe, I came to know that he was sober when he died. Um, I, hope, I hope that you can have the gift of serenity and sobriety today. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the words serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, tonight, please reach out that courteous hand of kindness and pity to our neighbors, to the sick and suffering inside and outside the rooms. And for those of us who are walking the path, trying to walk this righteous journey, this righteous, holy path of suffering and hardship and happiness and joy and freedom, please help us to stay Sober through simplicity. Help us to keep it simple. Help us to, to live a mantra of easy does it. Help us to think. God, thank you for this program. Thank you for this wonderful life that you've given all of us. Amen.